All right. Psalms chapter number 3, I'll read verse 1, you read verse 2, so forth and following. All right, all the way down through verse number 8. Verse number 1, Lord, how are they, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. All right, leave your Bibles open to this text tonight. Let's talk about what all this has to do with us. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in church on this Wednesday night. Lord, I was counting today, and I can't remember the exact number, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,303 Wednesday night services that I've had the opportunity to be a part of in these years. Thank you for Wednesday night. Lord, the fellowship that we've had through these many years Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And, Lord, I think back about people who got saved on Wednesday night, others who have been made right with God, made things right in their life. Uh, Lord, others that just come and sit and listen patiently and pray and uh, for the services. Thank you for Wednesday night. Bless us now as we look at your word together. And, Jesus, I ask you to honor your word tonight. Speak to our hearts and encourage us from this text, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for the last three Wednesday evening services, we have been making our way through the opening chapters of the book of Psalms. If you think back to the last two, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Psalms, I told you that of the 150 different Psalms that we have in the book of Psalms, 50 of these Psalms are referred to as orphan Psalms. That is, uh, they're Psalms that we really don't know who wrote them. The author remains anonymous. They are unidentified. So in reality, we don't know who, the, who wrote 50 of the 150 of our Psalms. And the first two Psalms are orphan psalms. We don't know who wrote Psalms 1. We don't know who wrote Psalms number 2. However, as we enter chapter 3 tonight, that changes now because as we enter this chapter, we know exactly who wrote Psalms chapter number 3. We're told, if you'll look right up under Psalms 3, I have a Schofield Bible. Yours probably does say this as well, but we have a subscription about this psalm, so we know a little bit about it. First of all, we know that David is the writer of Psalms chapter Chapter number three. By far, by far, David wrote the most of the Psalms of this book. In fact, on one occasion, David was referred to as this right here. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1, if you'll notice there, the Bible said he is the, the last phrase, he is the sweet psalmist 
of Israel. So out of all the Psalms, we know that David wrote the majority of these Psalms. So we not only know, however, that David was the writer of this Psalm, but we also know when this Psalm was written. Because if you look again at that subscription, it says this, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So now we kind of get a little bit of a background of how to, out of the circumstances from which this Psalm was written. You know, I told you at the outset of preaching through the book of Psalms, that these Psalms, as long as this book may be, with 150 of these individual Psalms, really all the Psalms can be summed up in only five words. They are the word pain, the word prayer, the word praise, the word poetry, and the word prophecy. Most of these Psalms were written because of some kind of a problem that was going on in somebody's life. And then what they did was they took that problem to the Lord in prayer. And when you take your problems to the Lord in prayer, the end result is going to be praise. And really that describes what these Psalms are all about, especially Psalms chapter number 3. It was written because of a problem in David's life. David took that problem to the Lord in prayer, and before the Psalm is over, he winds up praising God for what God has done. This psalm tonight was written in a time of a great crisis in the life of, of King David. We are told that David penned the words of this psalm during the days that he was running from someone named Absalom. Now let me tell you in case you know this, but uh, in case you may not know this, let me tell you who Absalom was. Absalom was the son of King David. In fact, let me say it like this. He was not only just the son of King David. Can I say it like this? He was the favorite son of King David. You know, when you read through the Bible, you'll come to find out that David had eight different wives. Now, that's not counting all the, uh, all the porcupines and the concubines that he had as neither, uh, either. But it, we know from the record of the Bible that he had at least eight different wives. You say, preacher, explainify that one. Well, I explain it like this. God intended... Uh, from the beginning of time for a man to have one wife, wife to have one husband. And uh, boy, there's a lot got muddied up along the way, but God can straighten all that out one of these days. You say, well, I wish I had eight wives. Think about buying hairspray for all those ladies. Makeup may change your mind about that. I was preaching one time in a youth meeting, and I talked about how that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if I got it right in my mind, he could kiss a different woman to, to, to sleep every night before he went to bed. For about a year and a half, or, or longer than that, three years and a half, he could get, boy, I mean, boy, you could see those boys. Man, they got excited and stirred up about all that. How would you like to kiss a thousand different women uh, to kiss them on the mouth before you went to bed every night? I was like, whoo! I said, well, then think about buying hairspray for all those women then. So uh, uh, David had eight different wives, and from those eight different wives, he had a number of children. But without doubt, reading through the Bible, I think we come to understand that Absalom was his favorite son. But then if you're familiar with the setting and the circumstances of what happened in David's family, you know, David's life, as I've told you before, can be divided into two sections. The two sections of David's life are these, the before Bathsheba part of his life, and then the after Bathsheba part of his life. Now, before Bathsheba, David could do no wrong. After Bathsheba, David could do no right. I'm telling you, before Bathsheba, David knew nothing but victory. After Bathsheba, David knew nothing but misery. And a part of that misery in King David's life 
would in, involved his son Absalom. You may remember that uh, Absalom had a, had a sister. So David had a daughter, and her name was Tamar. They were, they were full brother and sister. And uh, one day, a, a Absalom's sister, Tamar, was actually sexually assaulted by one of Absalom's half-brothers. His, his name was Amnon. Amnon went in and actually assaulted his own half-sister and forced her, and, uh, and what, a, what a weird circumstance all that was. I remember when I was growing up, me and my sisters would get in a fight. I had one older and one younger, and when we'd get in a fight, and then after it was all said and done, my daddy would say, go over there and hug your sister's neck. And I'd say, Daddy, I don't want to hug their neck. I'd rather kiss a mule in the mouth than to hug my sister's neck. Just something weird, something warped about hugging your sister. I, I don't know about all that. But can you imagine how warped it would be for a man to actually sexually assault his own sister? Well, buddy, I'm telling you, when Absalom heard about what Amnon had done to Tamar, Absalom actually ordered the killing uh, of Amnon. You may remember that he begged his daddy. If you remember from the history of the Old Testament, he begged his daddy. He said, hey, we're going to shear sheep. Can Amnon go with us? And at first David refused, and then he said, okay, if he wants to go, he can go. And when he went, the Bible said that Absalom got him drunk with wine and then ordered the shearers of the sheep to fall upon him and kill him in that drunken condition. And because of that, that drove a wedge between Absalom and King David. In fact, they didn't speak for years. I mean, two full years because Absalom had Amnon killed. By the way, really King David ought to have done something about that situation. You know, David heard about <coughs> what happened, and he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do anything. He kind of just let it go. So Absalom kind of took matters in his own hand and had his own half-brother killed. And boy, David, when he heard about that, he was furious at what Absalom had done. And for two full years, they didn't speak to one another. That's two Christmases, two Thanksgivings, two Fourth of Julys, two Easter's, no chocolate eggs. I'm telling you, for two full years, they didn't speak to each other at all. <coughs> but eventually, they made up. And uh, <coughs> it was during that time that they were, in our terminology today, estranged that Absalom began to woo the hearts of the men of Israel. <clears throat> In fact, we read this about the situation that Absalom, and here's what the Bible said, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. You know what he did? He started going to various men, and he, and he told, you know, them, you know, uh, I know you got some problems going in your life. You know, the king, he doesn't have anybody set aside to listen to your problems, to settle your matters. You know, if I were the king, I would have somebody to hear the matters of the people, and I, I would be more people conscious if, if I were the king. In fact, won't you tell me your problem? And, and through that, he eventually wooed and stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Their loyalty to King David shifted to loyalty to Absalom until Absalom eventually had enough men uh, together around him that he actually rose up and overthrew the leadership of his own dad. <clears throat> you know, in our terminology today, we call that a coup. 
You know, any time in these third world, country, third world countries that somebody rises up, kills the king, kills the president, and sets their own president up, we call that, that was a coup attempt. They, 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 they set aside one leadership and they ushered in another leadership many times without even the people even knowing what happened. Well, that's exactly what Absalom did. He actually ran his daddy off from, by the way, he would have killed his daddy had his daddy not have grabbed the clothes that was on his back, rushed out into the night, left the city of Jerusalem, and that's the only way that his life was spared. So as we come now to Psalms chapter number 3, David is once again, as he was in the days of King Saul, he's running for his life. He is out living in the woods, living in caves once again. And by the way, he's no longer a young man. He's now an older man. You know, a young man can live from cave to cave and from den to den and from patch of woods to another patch of woods, but it had to be hard on David as an older man now to go back living as a fugitive running from his own son Absalom. And let me just stop and say this. Really, David had nobody to blame for how all this played out but himself. You know, sometimes we want to blame God we want to blame God for the things that happens to us when many times we don't have anybody to blame but our own self, the, the choices, the, the decisions that we have made that have brought the trouble and the turmoil in our life. We have nobody to blame, but many times, how many times do we want to look up and say, God, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen to me. And I think God looks down and says, look at some of the choices you've made. Look at some of your decisions that you made. Don't blame me. I didn't do this. You did this. You're suffering from the consequences of, the, of your own choices. And that was true now with, with King David. So in Psalms chapter number 3, he's running for his life from King, uh, from, uh, from his own son, Saul, uh, Absalom. And as he runs for, from, for his life, he sits down and pins the words of this psalm. Now, I think really what happens in this psalm is he writes these words right before he goes off to sleep. And the reason I say that, if you look there at verse number 5, he says, I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustain me. So I really think that he writes this the very night that he runs from Absalom, flees Jerusalem before he, he goes to sleep that night with just a few men surrounding him, a few men around him, the soldiers that remained loyal to him in this coup, and they followed David out of Jerusalem, just a very minimal group of men that are around him. Before he laid down and went to sleep that night, he pinned the words of these uh, of this psalm and this psalm divides itself into three sections and if you'll notice there in verse number two verse number four and also verse number uh, help me find that third one there in verse number eight we see the word selah selah let me tell you what the word selah is it's a spiritual speed bump that causes us to slow down and to think about what's being said here so anytime in the book of Psalms you see the word selah, it really means there. What do you think about that? Or it means slow down, pause, and meditate. So around these three words we find three different divisions of Psalms chapter number 3. Let's get started tonight. David is writing and here's what he says in verse 1 and in verse number 2. First of all, in verse 1 and verse number 2, he talks about the foes that are against him. So he says, there are foes against me. 
Now notice what he says in verse 1 and verse 2, and I have circled some words here, but in verse 1 he said, How are they increased that trouble me? And then here's one of the words, Many are they that rise up against me. Verse 2, Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah. Now, David, as he, as he gets ready to go off to sleep that night, he starts thinking about all the enemies that he has. I guess I could say it like this, just to impress you a little bit with some of my vocabulary. Uh, my vocabulary. He talks about the multiplicity. You impressed? He talks about all the enemies that he has. And when he uses the word to describe his enemy, he uses the word many. David isn't saying, I've got, well, I've got one enemy at the most, maybe two. David said, no, man. He said, I have got a lot of enemies. And by the way, you'll know if you read through the story of David that David was a man who was greatly loved, but he was also a man who was greatly hated. He was greatly loved, but he was grievously hated. David had a lot of enemies. He said, I have many enemies. There are foes that are against me. Now, let me say two things about this because everybody in here tonight has enemies. How many of y'all are living tonight? How many of you are breathing? Can I tell you something? If you're breathing, you got enemies. Now, let me tell you, those enemies will fall into one of two categories. First of all, there are what we can call man-made enemies. I have through the process of years. And I, I know I'm like you. I don't understand it neither. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, but I have a lot of enemies. I can say with David, many are they which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Verse number two, I can say, many are they that rise up again. I have a lot of enemies. Sometimes I get to thinking about it, and it's just depressing to think about. But you know the truth of the matter is? Most of those enemies... Are my fault? Now don't say amen right there, please. But I, through the years, through my maybe bad spirit or maybe my, uh, my attitude, I've made a lot of enemies in this walk of life. And I have nobody to blame for that but me. You know, one of the things I'm well aware of is at the judgment seat of Christ. And I, and I think about this sometime at the judgment seat of Christ. Boy, there sure is a whole lot of people that's going to have to get right with me at the judgment seat. But can I tell you this? At the judgment seat, there's a whole lot of me that's going to have to get right with a whole lot of people too. I, 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 oh, yeah, there's going to have to be some people that's going to apologize to me. But, boy, I'm going to have to apologize to a lot of people as well and make it right at the judgment seat. The truth of the matter is a lot of us have enemies, and the reason we have those enemies is because of our own selves, our attitudes sometimes, uh, our, our demeanor, some of the things we say, our, our, our just, just uh, who we are. We create our own enemies. Anybody got any enemies that, that are man-made, self-inflicted? Anybody got anybody in here that you'd have to say, man, he's an enemy and he's an enemy and he's an enemy. And I got nobody to blame for that but myself. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I should have done this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. I should have done that. I mean, I, let's just face it. We have enemies that are man-made enemies. We all do. But can I say this? We also have some enemies that are God-made enemies. They're our enemies simply because that we're trying to live for God. I mean, let's just face it. This world, the flesh, and the devil is the enemy of every child of God. 
Uh, if you are an old-fashioned, Bible-believing Christian, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, if you believe the only way to be saved is through the shed blood of the Son of God, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, if you believe in old-time religion, can I tell you something? You've got a lot of enemies in this world. If you don't believe that, watch some of these talk shows on TV sometime. They'll have a, they'll have a preacher on there that, that, uh, that, that, that will boldly proclaim Jesus is on the way to heaven. They'll have 50 people sitting over here from other religions, and, and, and everybody in the crowd is against that one Bible-believing child of God. We got a lot of enemies in this world that are God-made enemies. And the truth of the matter is, can I just stop and say this? Jesus said it's going to be like that. Jesus said that in this world... We're going to have a whole lot of enemies. Uh, by the way, I don't set out to have enemies. I, I don't get up every morning and say, let's see who I can go out and tick off today. Man, let's see who I can go out and get to hate me today. That's not my attitude about it, but I'm just going to tell you, it happens a whole lot. You ought to see some of the looks. I live in an apartment complex in downtown Mount Airy, and of course, going in and going out, I'm always carrying my Bible. If I head out, I carry a Bible. Head in. The other, other day, somebody at church here gave me a gun. Sunday morning, gave me a gun, an AR-15. That means don't mess with me. An AR-15 pistol. They gave it to me. And so when I got out of the car that day and started walking to the apartment complex, I had my Bible in one arm <laughs> and that AR-15 pistol in this arm. I told my wife heading up the elevator, I bet some people said, man, what kind of church does that guy go to right there? <laughs> I, bet, I bet they thought, man, what kind of service do they have today? But you know, the truth of the matter is, you just carry your Bible around. People look at you like, it's like you got the plague. It's like they want to get the lights on, spray you down, lest your cooties jump off on them. We got enemies in it. And by the way, Jesus said it was going to be like that. In John chapter 15, in verse number 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world loveth you. Wait a minute. Did I read that right? The world's not going to love us. What's the world do? Oh, they're going to hate us. Jesus went on to say over in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, he said, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. If you are an old-fashioned, Bible-believing child of God, <coughs> and you stand on your beliefs, the truth of the matter is this world is not going to like you. Can I tell you something tonight? As a child of God, if you stand on the Bible, the Word of God, and you're not ashamed of that, and you don't back down, don't cower, and I encourage you, don't cower. Let's have a good spirit about us, but I have my hind leg on backing down and just letting people just talk and, you know, and all that. Man, we just, I'm going to take my stand, be kind about it, be sweet about it, and have a good spirit about it. But, man, if somebody says, oh, no, there's many ways to heaven, I'm not going to sit there. I'm just going to stand up and say, no, you're wrong. There's one way to heaven, and His name is Jesus Christ. But if you do that, you're going to offend this world, and they're going to hate you. I said, uh, Let me say it like this. If you're a child of God, a Bible-believing child of God, you don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble is going to come looking for you. Can I give you one illustration? We'll move on and wrap this up. But remember back in Daniel chapter 3 when the king uh, passed that edict that, you know, he set this, plane, uh, uh, this image of himself up in the plains of Dura, about 90 feet tall, and he said, Okay, we're going to have a rock music concert. We're going to have some contemporary Christian music today. They're going to begin to play, and when they play, everybody in here needs to bow down and worship this image. Well, there were three old boys on the back side of that, that plane that didn't back up. They didn't bow down. 
By the way, they weren't out there picketing the event. They weren't out there marching around with signs, don't bow to the image. Don't bow to the They weren't picketing the event. All they did, they just stood. And guess what? They didn't have to go looking for the fiery furnace. The fiery furnace came looking for them. And if you're a child of God, don't be surprised if you have some foes against you. David said, stop, think about it. There are many which say of my soul. And by the way, not only were they his enemies, but they were talking negative, uh, negatively about him. Look in verse 2. Uh, they said of my soul, there's no help for him in God's sake. You know what they were saying for psychic kind of language? He's so far gone, not even God can help him. And there's a lot of people in this world that say, man, you're so twisted, you're so warped, not even God can help you. Foes against us. Number two, watch this in verse 3 and verse 4. Not only do we have foes against us, but thank God we have a Father above us. I like this. Look what he said in verse 3. But thou, now here he is. He's laying down. He's getting ready to go to sleep. Absence just run him off. He's out there living in the wood. Can you just imagine every time they heard a twig snap, he probably thought, oh, no, it may be the armies of Absalom. I mean, man, his life is in great peril. And he sits down and he says, I got so many enemies, I can't even count them. They're talking negatively about me. They're saying I'm so far gone, not even God can help me. There's nobody can help me. There's no help for me in God. It's over. Stick a fork in him. He's done. But in verse number 3, he said, but they're wrong. Because I have a father that is above me. Look at verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. You know what David does? He takes his focus off his foes, and he puts his focus on his father. Now watch this. You focus on your foes, you're going to get depressed. Can I have an Amen. I'm not stupid enough. You know, I go to church with people who won't even speak to me. <laughs> it used to bother me, but the older I get, the more I don't care now. But can I tell you something? I don't want it to be that way. I want everybody to love me. There's something about me. I want to be just this, you know, Brother Zeno, before he died, he was just this cuddly old man that everybody just loved, and he could just say whatever he wanted to and get by with it. I can't say nothing and get by with it. I can't wait to get 75. And be this cuddly old man, and everybody just, oh, bless his heart, he's senile, he's lost his mind. He don't know what he's saying. Oh, he's just a good man. Let's just love him. Go up and give him a hug. But that ain't the truth. I don't get by with much right now. I remember not long ago, brother, uh, before he died, this is while me and him were sharing. We, he would preach service after. He got up and said something one night, and he used a word, and he said it. And, uh, and, and then two or three services later, I said it. And the family called me and chewed me up and spit me, spit me out over saying it. And they were up there hugging his neck. Yeah. You don't get by with much when you're young. But I can't wait to get 75, and I'm just going to say that word over and over and over and over again. And y'all going to say, oh, bless his heart. He just needs he's senility. He's, he needs some uh, Alzheimer's medicine. Oh, we just going to love him anyway. Just come up and hug all of him. Can, can I kiss you on the cheek? I, yeah, go ahead, snuff running down your... You know, I, I. But right now, it ain't that way. I got some foes against me. Watch this. But I got a father above me. What will the Lord do for me? Look at verse 3 and verse 4. There's three things David said my father's going to be. Number one, he's my protector. Look what he said in verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield 
for me, my glory. The Lord is our protector. You know, God even protects us when we don't even deserve protection. I mean, David's messed up. He's not only taken another man's wife, he's taken another man's life. The Lord would be right if he just said, man, you're on your own. Good luck with Absalom. I mean, I don't care. You've done hurt me too bad. But aren't you glad even when we mess up, that the Lord's still our protector? Then I like this. Look again at verse 3. He's the lifter up of mine head. Can't you just see David? He's out there. and I mean, man, he's thinking about all these enemies that he's got. And I mean, he's just... He's, he's just his head is bowed. And then he said, but the Lord is the lifter up of mine head. When I get down and depressed and discouraged, think about all the foes and what they're saying, David said, the Lord just comes around and he lifts my head. He's my protector. He's my lifter. Watch this. He's my answer. Look again at verse number 3. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and David said, He heard me. If I was God, I wouldn't have heard him after all he'd done. But aren't you glad even when we mess up? And I'm not, this is not saying, hey, just go out and do what you ever want to do. It don't matter. The Lord's going to hear you. It's not a license to sin. But isn't it amazing that God is so merciful that even after we mess up, He hears us anyway? Isn't that amazing? He said, he heard me out of his holy hill. So watch this. I have foes against me. I have a father above me. But look, that, look if you will, in the last verses of this psalm. He said this, I've got a future awaiting me. You know, these, this crowd's running around saying, it's over. God can't even help that old boy. It's done. Stick a fork in and cut the light out. Put him in the freezer. Crank the bus. It's over. David said, no, it ain't over. He said, verse number 6, I'll not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me. By the way, Absalom had the 10,000s. But he said this, verse 7, Rise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all of mine enemies. He thinks back about that crowd. He said, Thou hast, thinking about all those people that he defeated in the past. God, you've done it before. You've broken the teeth in the ungodly. You can do it again. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. See that David said, they may say, it's over, it's done, but God can still help me. I have a future awaiting me. And, and then he, so he just looks up and he says, okay, well, it's time to go to sleep. Enemies everywhere. I mean, man, not even knowing if he's going to be awake tomorrow. And he said, I just think I'll, verse 5, lay down, go to sleep. The Lord will take care of things. So I just want to encourage you tonight, this is how to get a good night's sleep. Just go home and say, the Lord's got it. He's my protector. You ever think you hear something in the middle of the night? Have you ever heard something in the middle of the night and didn't know what it was and it scared you? You ever think, every, maybe you heard a creak in the floor or something, you think, oh my God, Jeffrey Dahmer's coming down the hall with a big old knife in his hand. It's over. But then you're reminded, the Lord is my shield, my glory. He's my protector. He's the lifter. He's the answerer. He, everything's going to be all right. I'm just going to lay down, leave it to him. He'll take care of me. I'm glad we got that kind of a God. Let's bow our heads. Father.